Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and listening to my show, which is now being downloaded over 33,000 times in over 129 countries. I'm really excited about that. So thank you all for your contribution in listening. This show is sponsored by me, Sarah J. <laughs> so if you want to know more, I'm, a, I'm the midlife coach. I'm obviously a podcast host. I'm an author and I'm a speaker. And you can head over to sarahjnaylor.com or find me on all your normal platforms. So on with the show. Today I have... The fabulous Gillian Hovell with me, and I'm going to hand over to her to introduce herself to you because I'm fascinated. I can't wait to start talking to Gillian. I only met her recently, only a few months ago, and uh, what she does is is fascinating. So I really do hope you enjoy listening to our conversation because I can't wait to start asking lots and lots of questions. So over to you, Gillian. Please do introduce yourself to my awesome audience. Hello, and welcome to everybody, and thank you very much indeed, Sarah, for having me on. Absolute pleasure. So, yes, I am Gillian Hovel. I'm known as the Muddy Archaeologist. That's my official tagline, which gives you a clue what I'm about. Nowadays, I do more talking and lecturing and online courses and lecturing on tours, uh, doing a, a lot of this rather than a lot of the troweling. But I'm out there every year at some point in a trench, in a muddy trench and being extremely happy. Everything from uh, Neolithic prehistoric 5,000 years old Orkney through to into Europe to the Romans and a little bit beyond. So my range and when I'm lecturing it can even go to human evolution. And it's all about life. It's not about death. It's about how people lived whenever and wherever they are and what their cultures are. So it's a very vibrant and it's a bit like a detective story, really. I know. It's, I mean, I just, I've always been fascinated. I mean, I've never studied this subject at all, but I mean, for people across the globe, they might not have seen it, but sort of Tony Robinson and the Time Team, I used to love that. And, you know, there's always that thing about finding things, treasure. I mean, I remember going for walks and runs with, well, it was not runs back then, but walks when I was a child with my friend and a dog. And, you know, you'd walk across a muddy field and you'd find bits of pottery. In fact, I found a bit of pottery when I was out running the other day and it's like, yay, I had to take it with me. <laughs> I think it's a bit of willow pattern or whatever it is, but it's just still, it's just finding out a bit of treasure. And like you were saying, what you do, it's, it's about life, it's about history, it's about where we kind of, where we were, because, you know, I think it's quite egotistical to think we just are as we are now. We never have been as we were at another generation. And when you look at all the things, I mean, I'm watching a documentary on Netflix at the moment with Graham Hancock, Apocalypse something or other. And um, it's going back to all these sort of civilizations that were, have been long lost, but were absolutely so advanced. But yeah, how did you get into it all? Anyway, I mean, tell me, tell me, tell well, me. Well, <laughs> I was read Tales of Greece and Rome by a wonderful lady at my primary school. I didn't know it was extracurriculum. I just thought everybody learned it. And she used to read it from this little blue book. And she'd stop at something cliffhanger and go, next week. And I was sitting there going, oh, oh it's too exciting. And everybody else was like, oh. <laughs> and I, I knew I was hooked because it was this other world. It was myths and legends. And I thought people lived in with other stories. 
and they lived in other ways. When I didn't, I was too young to understand. And then when I was 11, I went to Vindolando on Hadrian's Wall, which is a Roman fort site, which is still going strong, still being excavated every year. And the rain was dipping it down. And I read on this 1970s, you know, musty old board that they'd found thousands of pairs of shoes. And I realised people had to find things. Archaeology dawned on me. And I said, amazing finding this. And I went into some kind of dream and my parents shouted, we get in the car. Oh, it's raining <laughs> in their soul and apparently I didn't speak for two days barely I just sat there going wow and of course yeah, my dad wasn't what you'd call an enabler for, for girls and very old school and it was like well you, people like you don't do it you know? and as I believed him so uh, it was only later that I went hang on a minute I did a Latin and ancient history at university university. then when I moved up to Yorkshire I was 40 I joined a little archaeology class and over 10 years I spent once a week every single week except Christmas and whenever we were on holiday on the feet in the fields I ended up running it because uh, yeah I knew a lot because I'd studied a lot but added my knowledge to the practical which is a bit upside down usually you find Roman things, therefore you become a Roman archaeologist. And though I was going, oh, if it's Bronze Age, if it's Iron Age, if it's Roman, then it'll be this or this or this. And they're going, well, how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> we gave talks, We were because you get grants, so you have to share with the public. And I was pushed to the front, and I was like a dog at the vet going, no, no, no. And there was a, I remember a hand behind me stopping me reversing anything. <laughs> so I came away and thought about the people presenters I'd watched when I worked at the BBC and I thought uh, hmm, what, what, why did I like that one and was embarrassed to be connected with that one I came back, did a lot of homework on public speaking went and gave my second talk and I said what's wrong, what have I done and they said um, you found what you do oh, I love that because you've just what, what I want to touch on before we go back to all the stuff that you do do is the fact that as you were growing up you had that sort of acknowledgement and that recognition of something that really fired your belly up something that you really were passionate about but yet you were told that it's not for you you can't do that because you're a girl because that was how your father and, and I was until recently my father bless him uh said why are you making a career out of your hobby and I know that many other people have had that said to them I'm not I know I'm not alone in that yeah, but, uh, you know, to say, actually, I'm passionate about this and, forgive me, I'm good at it too. So, and I didn't bother to persuade him. Uh, there was no point. Uh, I just did what I did. No, and exactly, and that's what you have to do. And that's what I want to sort of get across on this as well, is that, you know, it's all too easy for people to have an opinion of what you do based on their own life experiences. But actually, when you when something is really firing you up, something that make, brings you joy... Yeah, it's so important to do it. And effectively, like you're doing now, you know, you're doing it for you. In return, it sort of proves that this is what you ought to have been doing. But, you know, you've condensed all of that, all that sort of interest. I mean, over those years that you weren't doing it, you kind of grew up. So you did study Latin. Every holiday, if there was anything ancient, I was just straight to it. Uh, so I was just drawn to it. Yes, so growing up, it was always a hobby. Yes, but I was really studying as far as I could at the same time, not officially. But, uh, then I started doing the archaeology, as I say, and that became almost a full-time. Yeah, my children were at home and it was a, a volunteer job at the beginning. Sort of thing. So it filled all the energy that I had, as it were. And I discovered I could do this, as I say. And then I went through a divorce when I was 50. And the divorce solicitor said, you'll have to get a proper job. 
Because then I was giving one or two talks, I was earning only 200 a month. And she said, you're going to have to have a proper job. I said, this is a proper job. She said, not that money, it's not. I said, no, but I'm already the muddy archaeologist. I'm getting a reputation and I've got enough to last me two years of savings. And if I can do it by then, then I can do it. And if not, I have to give it up. I mean, there's a motivation. Lose what you're going to do or make it work. Absolutely. And you've been making it work. Yeah, <laughs> it, <worked. laughs> yeah it is hard work going from nothing to making yourself self-sufficient but hard work shouldn't put you off if you've got a passion it was you know it was that or do some of the job and I I wanted to do what I was doing and I wanted to make it into a job and I knew doing it would make me happy uh, so I I worked by gum I worked <laughs> yeah I mean the thing is you, what, what you what you've said though is that you knew you wanted to make it work you were, you're absolutely crystal clear in what you wanted to do but all of that work you'd put in by the sounds of it decades of research to be able to deliver what you then had gave yourself that two-year window to actually deliver and so therefore you've got that crystal clear clarity you've got all that wealth of knowledge and experience you'd already got that coined yeah, you always got that, the, the tagline, the muddy archaeologist. And then it was just a case of really focusing yourself to get yourself out there, which is what you've done. And you're doing all sorts now, aren't you? I mean, it's just amazing. You know, you've kind of, you've been able to let go of what was holding you back, really. Exactly. Yeah, and, it, and I was being held back by what so many people said. You know, you, you just can't make this work and it can't. And I thought, but, and sometimes I had to play the trick of, OK, I give up. How would I feel? And I'd have a small panic attack. Okay, I do it. How do I feel? And I'd go fired up. I, I, yeah, I, I've got to make this work. So I took classes locally. I led, that was a way of getting experience. Gave talks to any societies who'd let me for nothing at first. Uh, and then for 30 quid. And then the, the Arts Society, who paid sensibly compared with that. It was still not enough to make things work. So I did tours which I now love, the, the chance to travel and go places and share a passion with people and help them open their eyes and enjoy it as well, that's the buzz. It's not just me sharing, it's seeing them really enjoying and understanding what they're seeing. Absolutely, and that's so important. Yeah, I've understood more in an hour than I've known in 20 years, thank you. So how, what's the tour? How, what is a tour then? How does that actually evolve how does that happen who books you where do you go and what i'm just what's it <laughs> well, i had a lady in one of my classes uh, this is started by her saying you'd be really good on this ship i frequently go on and as i processed in my poor state this ship i frequently go in is another world to me i said okay tell me a name i might as well contact them and by hook and crook there were all sorts of things that were nearly stopped here an accident by the person who was should have interviewed me i was ill on the day really ill on the day couldn't go and eventually we met and uh, we sat down and I said, so looked at it, you have two lecturers on board for each cruise and you must have loads of archaeologists and classical historians. She said, yeah, yeah, we, we had a particular one, but she's busy now. And she just sat there like that and I went, do I know who it is then, if you say it like that? And I knew I'd got it. I knew we'd got a rapport going. And uh, she said, eh, she's just a bit busy. And I went, I'm not leaving till you tell me whose shoes I'm stepping into. <laughs> and she went, OK. And she watched me and she said, OK. It's Mary Beard. And I went, well, I can do that. She went, God, you're on. And so then I went out the building going, yes, because I'd got the job. And I thought, what have I said? What have I said? And realised, actually, I can do it. And I have been doing it. Awesome. 
Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and actually, I mean, just absolutely amazing. I mean, what a moment. What an absolute moment. I don't know what possessed me to say it. I really <laughs> don't. I just, she just looked at me and she said, it's Mary Beard. And I just thought, oh, I could do it. I mean, I was, it was early on in my career and where I got the, the idea of saying I could do it from. And I'm not like that. I don't bluster. I genuinely thought... I can do that, you know. Well, absolutely, because you've got the knowledge, you've got the power, and you know who she is as a person and what she talks about. So you can, I mean, I guess it's a bit like when I see people on the TV, I go, yeah, I can talk, I could go in, I could go and do that programme, I could go and do that thing instead of Gabby Logan on the Wim Hof programme. I could go and talk about all of that stuff. You just know, don't you, inherently? You do. Well, sometimes I've been watching something and or somebody else has, and they said, saw so-and-so on the TV. Do you know, you could have done it better. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that once or twice, and it's not big-headedness. You just sit there cringing, going, oh, yeah, I wish you could do better than yeah, that. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Because I could. <laughs> well, the thing is, when you know your stuff, you know your stuff, don't you? And, mm. you, and, and absolutely, you can go, yeah, I can do that. Get yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on. <laughs> and it was, it was such a shock to hear myself say, I can do that. Such a shock. Uh, I thought, well, actually, I can. You know, I spent a lot of my life going, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> because working solo is the challenge. There's no one giving negative thoughts, but there's no one cheering you on either. No, I know that. I've been self-employed since 2009 and you have to, you have to dig deep. You have to, you know, even right now, you know, it's, it's been a bit challenging. I won't go into all of it right now, but the last few months have been somewhat challenging and they still are. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, I've had lots. It's not been, people say, oh, but you've had a smooth, you know, and I often think, I can't remember who it was, sadly, on a chat show, some author, famous authoress, who was t- said, oh, it's all right for you. You were an over overnight success and she said my dear it's taken me 20 years to be an overnight success <laughs> and I'm going yeah <laughs> and I, if you told me 25 years ago before I moved to Yorkshire started archaeology that I'm doing cruises I'm giving a lecture tour in Australia later next year and New Zealand I've been on BBC News I was on Radio 2 just the other night and if you told me I was doing that I'd just roll on the floor laughing with my heels heels going how do I get to that I see no route for it why why would I be able to do that and yet one thing at a time and that sudden if you told me at the beginning that that's what I'm aiming for I'd have gone, I can't do it. That's because you've broken it down. In in the whole sort of coaching world, it, it, you, if you have a bigger picture that looks unattainable, it's about breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. So some people have got got the bigger picture, but they can't get there, or they, they can't see beyond the bite-sized chunk. So you, you kind of go, it's a Metro Milton model, and you kind of either you chunk up to get the bigger picture to help you work towards it, or it's too overwhelming, so you sort of start at the bottom or you have to build it there's two different ways of looking at it and obviously what you've done is you you've just really followed well, just gone your nose step, found a firm footing and then gone step where's the next firm footing so i can't afford for it not to be firm i can't afford to take that jump that might fail because i won't have any income so i've had to be very firm and then take another step and so you think you're going that way and you suddenly find that you're over here somewhere and you go well, okay it's working and, you know, I'm going, you know, I've done a lot of the Mediterranean now, which sounds, I'm not bored with it at all. I'd l- I love going there. And I said, how do I get to the rest of the world? <laughs> <laughs> South America, get me to South America. Yeah, well, I, I keep saying, I, please, anyone out there in America who wants somebody to come on a lecture tour around America, please invite me. Well, uh, if anybody I, listening, uh, get in touch with Gillian. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is, I would love to. Several times on cruises for the Smithsonian, they've said, why don't you come and talk in Washington? Why don't you talk at the the Smithsonian but as a 
voice shouting out to them it's very hard to get that hook in it needs someone on the ground there to say i've got a good speaker for you i love the words that you use by the way because of what you do all the words that you use are very grounded steps and ground and this and it's really solid and it it really resonates because you're so sort of you're so i'm going to use the word grounded in what your self-belief because you're so passionate because of the knowledge because of you know what you can deliver because of the results that you get and i love that i love seeing people like yourself embracing what you're good at what you're passionate about and sharing that with other people and this because that's what you end up that's what you're here to serve this is how you're here to educate people but you know through humor through sort of being approachable not not something dry or that's why it's muddy archaeologist because it shows I'm not going to be well it, it wasn't the reason it just happened that way uh, and uh, I had a friend who said you need a tagline because nobody knows whether you're hovel hovel or whatever you are and uh, I said well I say hovel like the shape but it doesn't worry me I can respond to hey you you know and she said, no, no, you need something because if people can't pronounce it or think they can't they can't remember you which is true I read Dr Shivago when I was about 14 got three pages in couldn't pronounce the name gave up because I couldn't say the name <laughs> so I thought, good point. And so every week she'd say, "What you have to think? What are you?" We did all sorts of little exercises. It's something that she did professionally. She was just a friend. And one day I'd had a particularly muddy Tuesday on the dig, and I promise you the rain had mud coming down in it. I was just, I just looked like Winnie the Pooh rolled in the mud. Uh, <laughs> I had to put plastic on the seat before I drove home, and I got out. And she was sitting on my porch, and I thought, oh. Come on, you're going to ask me what I am. Tired, I'm wet, I just want to get rid of it. I just don't want a great discussion. That You're really pushing the friendship here. And uh, she said, OK, then what are you? I went, oh, come on, look at me, I'm just a very muddy archie. I'm a muddy archie. I knew if I got you angry, you'd come up with an instinctive response. (laughs) It's just fabulous, and it 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 works. And yes, there is humour. And I always say that if there's a professor in the room, fine. And if there's someone who doesn't even know who the Romans are, that's fine, because I will give plenty of meat into the discussion but it's all done in a way that anyone can follow it and humor and it's all about being our common humanity with whatever cultures we're looking at really so you can always connect well absolutely and i think yeah people people and history and things like that are fascinating my mum used to really like the tudor period not that i knew all about that but at the time team i used to love watching that and i love things you know antiques roadshows my guilty pleasure (laughs) but you know just sort of Digging around in the garden, you know, even when you just sort of, I, I mean, it's nothing, but you know, and you thought, oh, I found a marble. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's exciting. You know, someone else lived there. And I had a farmer who came when we had, uh, on our site, we had uh, medieval furnaces, but they were just dips in the ground. And at the bottom of a medieval furnace, you get a lump of slag. It's, it's rock that's melted. And they've taken the metal, but they've left the lump of molten rock if they haven't cleaned out the last time they used it. And we had some of this on display. And a real old Yorkshire farmer came up and he looked at it. And I said, would you like to hold it? Oh, aye. So he held it and he just froze to the spot. He said, how old do you say this is? I said, mm, 500 years. Here's a piece that's 2,000 years old. Put it in his hand. And he was like, where did you say you found it? So I told him, and he said, that's opposite where I, I, yeah, my farm. He went silent. And eventually he put it down and walked off, but with a longing look at it. So he came back past and I said, oh, come, you can hand, handle all this again, you know. And he held it again. And I thought, his eyes are all watering up. And he put it down and walked away. And he came back at the end of the day. And I said, please, you know, come back again, talk to me. And he held it again and 
peers. This is a tough Yorkshire farmer. And he said, I have lived and worked on my farm all my life and I have never thought that I am a continuing story of people who have lived and worked on my farm before. And I've realised for the first time I am just part of a story and that other people from all of these times in history were living in our area. I said, well, that's true everywhere, wherever we live. Uh, and I thought, wow, I've broken him, you know. <laughs> and that, I love those breakthrough moments when people go, do you know, I feel connected with where I live. I feel connected with uh, yeah, being able to connect with other peoples, with other cultures, having an open mind. It's it's a different mindset and it frees you up considerably. No, absolutely. It's about being open-minded. I mean, we all are one part of the whole thing, you know, wherever and whatever time in history we lived. And but and it's acknowledging that and, it's, you know, and understanding that and, and just knowing that, because, I mean, we are, we're part of something massive that none of us can actually even have any comprehension of. I mean, the very fact that we potentially, people think that we are the only living, alive planet, it's just like... Every human has been as intelligent as us up here, even living in caves. Same capacity to think, to feel. Uh, that's why I say it's very freeing, because you realise that you can live in different circumstances, different ways, and that people always have done. And just because they were painting on caves and they didn't have the resources we did, they were. Ex- if you took a baby at moment of birth now and swapped them, each would live perfectly happily. Well, as happily as whatever life you're living enables you to, because you would live in what you were brought up in and what you know you would be taught those particular things just as capable up here so it is our common humanity that is is a it's a very positive feeling which bit do you like you know with all the things that you do what what do you is there is there a particular area that you you are fascinated about the most or which have you researched the most or where have you been oh tell me tell me more more. (laughs) Uh, i love neolithic orkney which is the first farmers of five thousand years ago and there's so much archaeology in orkney and i've dug at the nessa bodka which is the really big important site up there and to be the first person to see a pot to take the soil off and and no nobody's seen it for five thousand years and you're the first person to handle it goosebumps time and also they it's people sorting out society for the first time how do you decide how to live in a bigger environment with people instead of you know tiny things how do you learn to live in a village how do you learn to live together permanently not just coming and going you know hunter gathering so it really is humans being at their most basic and how do you work out living together which i think is great but then i love the romans because there's so much stuff i did my degree reading latin and ancient history literally reading what the romans wrote and being able to read what they wrote 2000 years ago and what they thought and all of that i apply that then to the roman archaeology you can really get into their minds set don't always want to to be honest but it's nice. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so i just love that privilege of connecting with somebody from another time from another you know. but what i really love is the part of my job where i spark something in somebody and give them a new hobby and i think a little story on a cruise ship the last morning waiting for disembarkation people are sitting in the lounge and i'm walking through saying hello thank you for coming etc 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 and uh, there was a, a, a gay couple on their honeymoon and one chap a bit really into it all and the other had said not a word very quiet and this hand rushed out and grabbed me as i walked by and i was going um hi you know thinking oh you speak to me how could I? he said i've got a confession and i thought you're on your honeymoon i don't want to know <laughs> 
and parked it here. So I sat down going, fine, okay, thinking what's going on here. And uh, he just sort of nodded and said, yeah, talk to him. And he said, well, I came for the sea and the sun and the food. And now I love the Romans. <laughs> and Plantner said, thank you, you have changed our lives because I'm passionate about it. And now he's really happy for us to go exploring around the ancient Mediterranean. And I, I just floated off that ship. If I managed to change somebody's enjoyment level then I've done what I should do. That is brilliant. I mean, but isn't it true, though, once you've got that insight, I mean, like you've said, you've, you've studied all of that ancient history in Latin, which gives you that privilege of being able to read all the things that you can read, but then you can translate that and you can share that knowledge in a language that other people can understand today to give them that sort of whet their appetite to then be able to go and look at sites and understand it more so than you would do because it's all so easy. I mean, I, I know somebody, in fact, I did a podcast with him and he, he goes out exploring all, you know, more recent modern industrial buildings and things like that that have fallen into, because he goes out finding all these sort of old, you know, in, in woodland and there's this stuff that's just got grown over. And as you start to understand what it is, and you get an interest because I mean, you know, he, I watched one of his videos just recently on YouTube. It really, I can remember learning to see when I started the archaeology course, and I found it amazing that you could go out into the fields and suddenly the fields had stories to tell and the woods had stories. To, and I thought, all my life, I've never noticed it. And archaeology and ancient history, you never stop learning, and that's what I love. I, I learned to because I wasn't encouraged as a child. I really loved school because they wrote, you know. A star or whatever on it, and somebody had said, "Well done," and I thought, "Wow, you know, this is great." So I loved learning because it gave me the the boost. And then I loved. I went to university, couldn't believe that all of this was for, to help me learn. I mean, also several thousand other people, but it helps there to help me learn. Yeah, and I love discovering, which is not just archaeology, but the books, and and you never stop exploring in the books as well as in the fields so it's it's like a buzz that you discover something new you find another little extra bit and then you can share with other and you see other people getting that buzz well you get excited and your excitement is infectious <laughs> and it's like, <"Ooh." laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm kind of now, now wish i was in the room with you and i could start rifling through your book oh what, what she got here what she got here <laughs> But I'm, I, I have a confession. I'm a bookaholic. I keep buying books. But because my life and world is so busy, I don't always get to read all through them all. But I'm sort of I, I'm convincing myself at a point when I am not working as much as I am that I will have time to devour them. I, I uh, had a, a builder do something. He said, have you actually read all of these books? And I said, I have used all of the books. Yes. I haven't read all of them cover to cover because some of them are reference but I've taken what I need. You know, I've, I've, I might have six books open on my desk when I'm researching something. So, it, yes, I said they have all had their uses and some of them I have read cover to cover. Uh, but mostly it's research levels. But then, you know, I might have used them 20 times for 20 different talks or, yeah. So what, what's, what, what's your favourite book? Do you have a favourite book? Do you have a go-to book or do you have a book that you recommend to people if they are interested in archaeology? I love Cicero, the great orator, Roman orators, his letters to his friends. Because he's writing about, you know, um, the weather and the journey and the politics of the time and uh, being quite blunt to some of his friends and terribly polite to the others. And then he'll say, you know, this house that we're having built, you know, why can't the builder discover to use a plumb line? <laughs> <laughs> some things never <laughs> change. <then>. Disappear. <laughs> 
uh, and you just read it, and you know, and he's writing to his wife and to his daughter, and uh, it, it's uh, if you want to read something the Romans wrote, Cicero's letters to his friends. Were these letters all found somewhere then? Uh, no, he was, the he was he was a bit um, arrogant, <laughs> uh, but he did a lot of speeches. He had a secretary, Tyro. Now, if you've read Robert Harris's books, which are the trilogy about Cicero Imperium, it was made into a play in London just before COVID. And he had a secretary who invented shorthand so that he could write down what Cicero was saying. And he kept copies of what you used to. You used to keep copies of all your letters. And I started as a secretary, by the way. If you think I've had it as a smooth journey, my dad said, well, you can go to university, but don't know what good it'll do you because you'll marry and have children. Yeah. <laughs> that line and uh, so uh, when I said well I need a job afterwards he went oh you'll be a secretary or teacher won't you because that's what women were expected to do and I fell for it and I thought if I'm going to be a secretary I'd tempt for a bit then I thought I'll do it somewhere interesting so I was a production secretary at the BBC so I was doing that shorthand and typing and it was fine because it was in an interesting place and I did that until I had the children I just didn't think I could do what I wanted to do I didn't believe in myself things have changed dramatically but I had learned even at a young age that even if somebody was going to say what did you do that for I would enjoy what I was doing and wait for the backlash later. I suppose you call it mindfulness now, being in the moment and going, well, you know, actually I've had 20 nice things happen today and just because somebody's going to put me down later, you know, it'll, I know, it'll, and it's, I still feel that. I still, it, you know, it still affects you for a long time. But uh, that lack of belief in yourself. But the more you do, the more you go. Do you know this is good? I like this. I can yes, do this. it's <laughs> practice. It's practice. It's about it's about that self belief. And like you were saying, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And it's what you're telling your subconscious because your subconscious doesn't recognise a negative. So whatever you tell it, it will it, it will believe because you know, obviously the conscious mind only works with like about between I think five and seven bits of information at any one time. But the subconscious is processing thousands, and I can't even remember what because you have to you have to be able to do things without thinking but the the, the, you know, the, the current mind will, will sort of think about what I'm doing which is actually obviously right now talking to you and recording this keeping an eye on that however my subconscious mind is also telling me you know there's a, there's a bit of a chill around here and you know what the weather's like and you know you're picking up on things and you're processing deleting distorting bits of I was very heartened and I hope this will help everybody listening watching as well in that uh, I know a, a, a now retired director of the BBC and a, a family member who married a what became an international opera singer and I confess that before I go on tour I, uh, my daughter just laughs because she lives with me, she's 29 and the night before tour she's sort of like this going, oh you're late today because I'll walk in the room and I'll go, I don't want to go too much effort, I, 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 I don't know I, I don't know I can do this, I don't, I've got the energy for it and she goes, you'll like it when you get there <laughs> and I go I know, I have to say it so that you can say that because otherwise it's sitting in the background if I say it, I know how stupid it sounds so I have to say it, hear myself say it and go, don't be daft and the moment I leave the home and start to wherever I'm going I'm going, right, you know and when I walk in front of the audience or I meet the guests or whatever I'm just so happy it's because I'm doing something that I didn't think I could do and that apparently is one of the biggest buzzes you can get. Do something you thought you couldn't do. So just because you think you can't do it is not a reason to do it. Because if you achieve it, and you might fail, you know, and sometimes you don't get the commissions you want and you don't get you know, all sorts of things. But when it works, the buzz, and, and especially if you get a good review after it, and I have to say my reviews are good, then <laughs> I'm not just posting what they are, um, then uh, you go, yeah, you know, because every time I've gone... Can I do this? 
But to discover that this ex-director and this international opera singer, when I confess this, both of their partners went, oh, gosh, you should see it here. Three days before, I can't do this. Ah! <laughs> I know, I don't know how to do this. I'm going, what? They feel like that. They went, oh, gosh, every time. Yeah, but it's about being human. It's part of being human, and I think it's part of... You want to do a good job and you, you know, you do believe in yourself. You don't want, you don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to let anybody else down. You are passionate about it. And it's part of that sort of energy, which is driving you into doing it, which it's the, it's the, it's the flip side of the excitement. The anxiety is the flip side of the excitement. It's almost a requirement because I had flu once and I just know that the talk I gave was very flat, not just because I was ill, but because I did not have that beforehand and if I find I'm standing you know waiting to go into a talk or something and I'm just feeling very yeah I think oh right and now I know why people run on stage because you're forcing some adrenaline into you yeah and uh yeah I did the radio two thing I made sure that I was listening and they were playing upbeat music before I was making sure that I was getting in the zone and by the time we came on I'm at the same speed that they are yeah absolutely it's getting into that energy it's getting into that vibe and that's why people have that as you said that music and they'll come running on and going rah yeah, I mean, it's just it's just part of it. You know, I mean, there's stuff that I've done. You know, I, well, I love jumping on and doing all the podcast recordings. You know, well, I get obviously. my energy vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and I've met you and you like it all the time. So yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. It's very easy. To, it, it's very uh, much easier if you can bounce off of each other's energy. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and I, all throughout my life, I've always tried to find that sort of area where you can build some rapport so people feel at home feel you know and I do it naturally and and because I want to I'm doing it deliberately to get out of something that I want I'm naturally how I am and it's about being authentic it's about being who you are and acknowledging stuff yeah and yeah the vibe you put out is what you what you get back and what you ever whatever you put out you get back what you say about being true to yourself is essential when I worked I spent five six years at the BBC and I watched a couple of presenters uh, I would say go slightly mad but they were themselves and then they had a public persona and it wasn't the same as themselves and if they walked out the building and you were talking to them and somebody came up you could see them have to flip and become the person they thought they should be and I can remember thinking you just have to be yourself but 150% of yourself the best self you can be and this is goes back to Cicero because he said excellence is not an achievement it's a journey it's a practice and a habit just habitually for me whenever I'm doing a talk or a show be the best for that and you know what after a while it's like a muscle it doesn't take the same effort and you think you know what? all I've done is improve the person I am yeah it's the neuro-linguistic programming in your brain it's how you you see you can get bad habits into place and it's it's not a case of breaking those habits it's a case, case of replacing them with another habit and it is consistent practice it's you know it's like getting up in the mirror for people that don't care or love for themselves you know getting into the habit of sort of looking in the mirror and going I love you because it's not egotistical it's about sending that love and care to yourself that you would bestow on somebody else you know and it's all of those words that you say to yourself and you do on a regular basis and if you say something to yourself that you wouldn't say to a friend don't say it because you wouldn't talk to a friend like that so why do you allow those words to be said to you you know and it, it be as kind to yourself as you would be to other people and if you make a mess of something or something doesn't work out well you know they'd say well you weren't well or you know <laughs> look at the audience you know you were never going to win with that one <laughs> you know, which i've only ever had once <laughs> 
<laughs> I walked in and thought, wow. <laughs> but you hear all sorts of performers saying, you know, they, they can perform to... In fact, I'm reading Sue Perkins' book at the moment, Spectacles. That's quite interesting as well. You know, with Mel and Sue and the, the, the tours that they did and... Um, you know, just playing to almost like nobody at times, you know, you just, you, but you have to keep believing in yourself and keep going. You do, and you are performing, but the trick is to perform you without the hesitations and the bits. And do you know what? The moment now, the moment the camera comes on, the moment I step on the stage, I am perfectly comfortable being that person because I've done it for years. Now, I know I will have a batch over Christmas where you don't do interviews and things, and I know it's a bit like if you don't drive for a while, you get back in the car and you go, oh, yeah, just got to get back into it. <laughs> and I know that I'm thinking, good, I can get the book written. And I'm thinking, yeah, but oddly, it's harder to write when I'm not connecting with audiences. Yeah, so it's a really good balancing act. But life's every year is different. I mean, COVID within three weeks, I had so many emails arrive, cancellation, 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 for 14 months ahead were completely wiped out. I had no potential of income within three weeks of COVID breaking. Yeah, mind you, all my business stopped as well. It was just like everything was, the plug was pulled. I just thought, how am I going to live? I had just reached the point where my income was not just what I needed, but more. Uh, Not massively, but I was comfortable for the first time since the divorce. And I went, look, and I'd had cancer as well. I'd had an operation at Christmas and, you know, it was whatever it was, February-ish. So I spent six weeks going, look at that. I've, made, I've cracked it. I've now got things rolling over regularly. I've got, I've, I don't have to stress so much about getting the work. I can just enjoy the work. Oh. <laughs> so the online courses were born. You know, you just go, what can I do? How can I adapt? I apparently sat and made animal noises going, I don't know how to do this. Couldn't understand the instructions. Did it on my own but had to. Motivation does help. Yeah. Well, it's about pivoting. It's about looking at things from a different perspective. I'm so glad I did the online courses because that's something that will trickle on for, you know, I'm always creating now. Yeah. I mean, I hit a bottle of wine and decided that didn't work and then pivoted. And so I saw it as an advantage and and saw this as an opportunity and go, right, what can I do? Because I couldn't do what I was doing normally. Exactly. Allow yourself to say, this is hard. It's important you do do that. And then you go, okay, let's Break it down into bite-sized chunks. Uh, something I can do. Something else I can do. <laughs> Where do people find you? What, what have you got planned for 2023? Where can people find right. you? Right. Well, uh, the, I have the muddy well muddyarchaeologist.co.uk is my website where you can see a general overview of all the different things. There are tours. Uh, I'm doing. I'm even going to the Arctic. They said, "Can you do Inuit archaeology?" And I went, "It's a long way from the Mediterranean." <laughs> Uh, so give me 10 minutes I looked I went you know I can yeah I, uh, because I know we'll visit the live cultures as well uh, so I said yeah fine so uh, there's that and uh, several couple of things in Orkney but I will I talk all over the country I will talk uh, I went to Mallorca to give a talk a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to Australia and New Zealand at the end of next year so I'm not afraid of travelling <laughs> it's uh, yes, you know, so you can get a book wherever you want particularly South America <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't mind where I go as long as the expenses are paid and I get a fee so I can pay the bills. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's a necessity. You can join the online courses. This is something that you can do wherever you are. You can register for free, absolutely no obligation. And about once a month, next one will be January, because of Christmas, I do an evening, so that America's in daytime, uh, an evening session free 
although donations are accepted, uh, where we look at the last uh, month's archaeological discoveries around the world. So I take you through, tell you a little bit about them, about their context. Then we take a short break. Then we do something like a virtual walk through a site where I'm giving you a commentary as we go through. Or it might be an illustrated quiz where you're picking up. People say, oh, I don't get many of them right. And I'm going, no, but you enjoyed learning about them because we do it in this kind of way, relaxed and fun. And that's something you can join me live once a month it's not recorded because i think i should be i think i should be signing up and (laughs) and it enables you to get to know me a little bit better before before you might say oh what what courses have you got and you could just look on the muddy archaeologist online courses it's a thinkific platform a canadian system so people go what's thinkific and i said it's just the platform so people can go over to your website then they can look at the courses they can jump on for free and they can come and visit you on wherever you're going on your tours or what have you if they happen to be on a cruise ship or wherever they are in in the world so what's the what's the website again then Gillian because I'm just looking at the time and going oh my gosh look how we're <laughs> we, 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 we'll be talking for hours I know <laughs> www.muddyarchaeologist.co.uk because I'm in the UK so it's .co.uk not .com Muddy Archaeologist is spelt the English way it's muddy all one word no, then it goes straight on A-R-C-H-A-E-O-L-O-G-I-S-T whereas you Americans don't spell it with the second A. But uh, so I think it might find me, even if you misspell it. Uh, that's just because I'm in England. Uh, but the online is muddyarchaeologist.thinkific. If you just put in Muddy Archaeologist online courses, it will find me. Follow your dreams, everyone. Exactly. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And for all of you listening, um, and if you've enjoyed this, which I'm sure you will have done, please do rate and review, subscribe, download, whatever it is you do on your platform. Go and check out Gillian. um, And I will be doing... (laughs) I think I'm going to sign up to that. That sounds amazing. And and thank you again for listening. So this has been myself, Sarah J Naylor, Harnessing Happiness, and you can find me over at sarahjnaylor.com. And until next time, thank you so much for being an awesome audience. Take care and goodbye. Till next time. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.